So why is the resurrection so important? We, we often focus on the death of Jesus for a good reason, right? Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, but a lot of times the resurrection gets overlooked in the gospel. We, we talk about it one time a year on Easter a lot of times, but the rest of the time we don't mention it as much as the cross. But the resurrection is really a huge part of the gospel, and we really have to get it right, and we have to believe in it. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that we have no faith and we're still in our sins if we don't have the resurrection. I just want to, before we dive into Luke, I want to look at that real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, you don't have to turn there, but um, I'll read it starting in verses 14 through 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So Paul tells us that if the resurrection didn't actually happen, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain and we're still in our sins. And we've not only done that, but misrepresented God by saying that he raised Jesus. And so this is bad news, right? If the resurrection is not true, it's bad news. Likewise, Tim Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept everything that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So again, the resurrection's important, right? If Jesus is still dead and in the tomb, he was just another teacher that had good things to say, but died. But if he did rise from the dead, he's much more than a teacher, right? And so the hope for today is that our faith would be strengthened by what we read about the resurrection of Christ here in Luke. So let's go ahead and take a look at Luke 23, 50 through 2410. We're going to break it up into three sections. And we're going to see two main truths, which is Jesus is alive, good news, and Jesus keeps his promises. And then we'll see four responses that people initially have to the resurrection. So two truths and four responses. But let's look at this first section where we see that Jesus is actually buried. He, he dies and is buried. And that's in verses 50 through 56. Let me read them. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tune cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. 
And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So as we said, it's really important for us to know that the resurrection actually happened. But Luke anticipates that people will have uh, disagreements with the resurrection. They will try to say all sorts of things to disprove the resurrection. Some some people may say that it was staged, that someone stole the body, um, that his disciples took the body. Some may say that Jesus didn't really actually die on the cross, or he wasn't ever actually buried, but the body taken somewhere else. People will say all kinds of things, and Luke knows this. And to understand why he gives us so many details about how Jesus is buried, we really need to know why Luke is writing this book to us. So a long time ago, when we first started in Luke, I don't know how many years ago, um, but you'll remember that in Luke 1.4, he tells us why he's writing this book to us. He says, writing, writing to Theophilus, he says he writes this so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. And so Luke is writing about the burial of Jesus so that we might have certainty um, of the truth of his burial. And he's really setting the stage for the resurrection here in these verses. He points out some key things that make us certain that Jesus was buried and died. If you look at verse 52, we see that Joseph goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus. And then in verse 53, he actually wraps the body of Jesus in linen and places him in a tomb where no one was ever buried before. And that's important, right? Because Jesus' body couldn't be confused with someone else um, because no one else had been buried there before. It was just a tomb for Jesus. And remember, all of this is taking place in public view. This was not normal for someone who was crucified on a cross, um, but this was special for Jesus. Another key detail is that there were more witnesses than just this guy Joseph as well. There were the women in verses 50 and 56 who go to the tomb and not only look at the tomb, but they see how his body was laying in the tomb. So many people saw Jesus laying in the tomb. And that's important to see how Jesus's body went from the cross to the tomb, because what we're going to be talking about next is so important to believe about the gospel. And finally, since it was the Sabbath day, the women, they planned to go back and to anoint the body with spices later. So we see here, Jesus really died and he really was buried in the tomb. And Luke wants to leave no room for speculation about that. That's why he gives us these details that we may wonder, why are these actually here? It's because he really wants us to get what comes next right. So he's steadying the stage for the good news So let's move on to that next section, which is verses one through seven, which is really the heart of our passage. And we're going to see two truths in this section. Jesus is alive and he keeps his promises. So Luke 24, one through seven. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So these women that witnessed the burial of Jesus, they have returned early in the morning on the Sabbath day and they bring spices. And what do they find? Well, they first find the stone that's rolled away from the tomb, this huge, large, heavy stone that was blocking the entrance to the tomb. And what do they find in the tomb? Jesus is not there. His body is gone. Now at this point, the women probably thought all kinds of things, right? They were, Luke tells us they were perplexed or puzzled. They might've thought the authorities came and removed the body, or they might've thought someone stolen the body. They were definitely confused. And you have to imagine their confusion because they had just been grieving Jesus's death. This man that they had followed had just died and they were seeking to go back and honor his body. And yet when they get there, they do not find it in the midst of their grief and confusion. They spent the whole Sabbath day waiting to come back to do this. And now his body's gone. They must be thinking, where did it go? What do we do now? Imagine the shock that they must have felt. But God does not leave them in their confusion, right? Two angels appear to help them understand why the tomb is empty. Verse four says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And we know these two men that are standing in the tomb are are angels because later in verse 23, Luke tells us that they're angels. And then the other gospels um, tell us that they were angels as well. But Luke's really trying to get us into the story and what these women see. These angels were wearing bright, shining clothes. And really when we see angels appear in this way in the scriptures, a couple of things normally happen. One, the people are normally really scared like these women are. Um, it's a frightening thing, right? But more importantly, angels usually bring an important announcement or message from God, right? And these angels are about to give these women the most important announcement that they could ever hear, right? And the most important announcement that the whole world could hear. So what do they say in verses five, the end of verse five and verse six, they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. They ask kind of a strange question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And the angels are communicating that Jesus is alive. You won't find Jesus here because you only come to a tomb to look for dead people. There's only dead people in tombs, but Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's risen. And that's really important for us to understand that Jesus is alive. He didn't, he didn't just rise spiritually, um, but Jesus literally rose from the dead. And we'll see this more in Luke um, in the next couple of weeks, but he physically rose from the dead. His body was gone from the tomb because he got up and walked out and was alive and breathing like the song that we just sang said. And that's what the angels were communicating to the women by saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's alive and well. 
And that brings us to the second main truth that we see in this section. It's that Jesus keeps his promises. So look at the second half of verse six and verse seven. They're really a gentle rebuke to the women. The angels say, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. The angels say, he's been promising you this all along. Jesus keeps his word. He does what he says. He accomplishes purpose, his purposes. And really the Bible is just lots and lots of stories of God keeping his promises and proving that we can trust him, right? He will do what he says. And so let's just look at two instances where Jesus foretells his resurrection. What did he actually say? Luke 9, 22 says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then in Luke 18, 31 through 33, he says, see, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. And the angels are calling them to remember that Jesus had promised not only that he would be killed on the cross, but that he would rise again. And remembering what God says, uh, remembering what God says is essential to the Christian life. It's really crucial to being a disciple of Jesus because we can fully trust him, right? And Jesus being alive and walking out of the tomb after being crucified is really the climax in the scriptures of God keeping his word and his promises, right? But this is, this is hard for us as people to, to trust, right? We all, we all have some trust issues, We've all been wronged by people or uh, people have close to us have broken their promises. We've all broken promises when we say, I'm going to do this, but we don't do this. I've probably done that five times today already, right? Um, our friends and families know that we break promises and we know that other people break promises. And because of that, we've learned that we can only trust people so much, right? We can only put our trust in people so much but it is not this way with our God and savior, Jesus Christ. He does what he says he's going to do. And he never fails to accomplish his promises. But instead, if he says it, it's 100%. It's a done deal and you can bank on it. And that's why the angels tell the women in the tomb, remember what he said. You can trust Jesus. He said he'd rise again and he did it. So for us the resurrection is not just important to our faith doctrinally as a, as a belief, but it's also important because it shows that we can really trust God and trust Jesus, right? Even when things look very bleak, like Jesus being killed on a cross and buried and a stone rolled in front of the tomb, he still wins. He still accomplishes his purposes and he still does what he says. I love the way that J.I. Packer puts it. He talks about the difference between us hoping in God and what he says and just optimism, just hoping for 
the best. He says, optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving and is often no more than whistling in the dark. But Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. But Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. And so the resurrection gives us this sure hope that God in Christ keeps his promises. And so in the next section, Luke shows us four ways that the first people who hear about the resurrection respond to it. And I think we can, we can learn something as believers from these responses. So look with me at verse eight of Luke 24. It says, and they remembered his words that they are the women in the tomb. So after the angel's reminder, the women remember the words of Jesus. Like we've been told, talking about, Jesus did foretell that he would rise and he gave them an ending to the story um, of his death, that he would rise. One of the commentaries that I read this week said that really the time between Jesus's death and resurrection should have been a time of anticipation for his disciples, right? If they had remembered his words, those who followed him should be eagerly waiting on Sunday for Jesus to rise again, right? Waiting for the third day to come. Yet these women, and we'll see others later, did not remember or believe his words. However, once the angels did remind the women, they did believe. They see clearly what Jesus meant when he told them he would rise again. And so us as Christians, this is crucial for us to remember the words of Jesus, to remember God's words. When we face a situation that's perplexing or confusing, much like these women did in the tomb, we must remember what God has said and we can stand on it. Luke tells us this response because he, he wants us to know that part of being a Christian is remembering what Christ has said he would do. And it's easy for us to judge these women that are trying to recall from memory what Jesus has said. Um, they were, were relying on their memory. But today we're even more blessed than these women because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to remind us of the words of God. And we have God's word right here in front of us also to look at and to search, right? How big of a blessing is that? We can pick up the Bible and remember what God has said whenever we want, right? And so we must remember the words of God. The women don't just have this response, but they also have another response that we see in verse nine. If you look at it, they went and told the others. So Luke, 9, Luke 24, nine and 10 says, and returning from the tomb, they, the women told all these things to the 11 and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So if we back up, the women remembered God's word. 
and saw that the tomb was empty and heard from the angels that Jesus is alive. And what do they do? They feel great relief and excitement. And they probably also wondered, will people believe us when we tell them what happened here in the tomb? But what do they do? They go and they announce this news anyway to the people. They go and announce the news because if it really is true that Jesus rose from the dead, and it is, it's the most amazing and important news in the world. So they must go and tell other people, right? Matthew, the gospel of Matthew gives us some more insight into how the women went and told others. Matthew 28, 8 says, so, the, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. They were fearful. They had just seen angels, not knowing what was ahead for them as they go to proclaim this message, but they do it with great joy. They believed it and therefore they go to announce it. So their confusion turns to joy, which turns to running to tell people about the news of Jesus, right? Now we may tend to overlook who uh, first proclaimed the message of Jesus's resurrection after the angels. But I think it's important to point out that God used women to announce the resurrection. In this day, women were often seen as uncredible witnesses in Jerusalem. And so in this case, they were really unlikely messengers of this, this first news, of this news that Jesus had risen. But God uses these women to bring the most important message that anyone could ever hear. And they're the first ones to bring it, that Jesus is alive. They're the first ones to tell people Jesus is alive. And we are messengers of this same resurrection today. We go about telling people that Jesus is alive. Messengers that proclaim this to the world. And like like these women, we're also unlikely messengers, right? We're also um, people that are sinful, And by human wisdom, we cannot convince anyone of the resurrection, right? It's only God that can do that. People will say that cannot be. Christ was not raised from the dead. People will disbelieve this message as we go and announce it to the world. Yet we tell it with great joy because it's the truth. And we announce it to anyone that will hear it, that Jesus is alive. And there's a, a third response that we see, and it's from the apostles whom the women went to tell. So we'll see that in verse 11. The apostles do not believe the message when the women tell them. Luke 24, 11 says, but these words seem to be an idle tell and they did not believe them. Who is it that's not believing the women when they tell them that Jesus is alive? It's the apostles of all people the guys that Jesus spent the most time with, the guys that would have, should have been the quickest to remember and recall what Jesus had said about his future death and resurrection. And the guys that you would really think would be the quickest to believe this news because they had so much riding on this news. They had followed Jesus and made him their Lord. And now he is dead in the tomb. However, it seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe it. They thought the story and what the women were saying was foolish. Now, this is clearly not the right response to this news, right? 
But I think we learn something important from this response. And it's that disbelief is not always the end of the story, right? Remember who, who this is that's disbelieving. God goes on to use the apostles mightily, right? We see later in Acts and throughout the book, or sorry, later in Luke and throughout the book of Acts, that these apostles spread the gospel far and plant the church wherever they go, right? They later take the literal message, Jesus is alive all over the world and to anyone that will hear it. And then they also suffer for this message. The apostles were beaten and arrested and mocked and even killed for this message. And so we have to remember as we are proclaiming this news in the world that disbelief is not always the end of the story for people. God can use anyone mightily. The people who founded the church by God's Holy Spirit and grace did not believe it when they first heard it. And so I think this calls for patience, right? Just later on in a a couple more chapters in Luke, we see the apostles believing and worshiping the risen Jesus. And so as we proclaim this message, let us remember that disbelief is not always the end of the story. And Luke gives us one more response to the resurrection, someone that first heard the news. And it's from Peter, the the Peter that had just denied Christ right before his death. How does he respond? Well, verse 12 tells us, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. So we see that Peter marvels at the resurrection. And we really see a contrast between Peter's response and the rest of the apostles, right? We see, but Peter, Luke tells us. And what does he do? He runs to the tomb. We see in the gospel of John that uh, it's actually a foot race between John and Peter. And of course, John's telling the story. John wins. Poor Peter, right? Um, but he runs. Can you imagine Peter's excitement and the hope of redemption that he has after he had betrayed Jesus at his death? He had denied Christ and now he hears he might be alive, right? And so he runs to see with his own eyes. And what does he see when he arrives? He sees the linen cloths by themselves. The cloths that Luke told us earlier, Jesus was wrapped in. They're not there. Or the, the claws are there, but Jesus' body is not there. And Peter realizes that Jesus is alive and he's not in the tomb any longer. And he goes home marveling at this. He goes home amazed and astonished at this. Now, Peter's marveling could be really read in two ways. You could read that Peter's marveling because he's just confused, you know, what happened here. But most of the time, this word marvel is used in the gospels. It's actually used when people witness and respond to Jesus's miracles, to things that actually happened, his acts. And so I think here that Peter is marveling and astonished in faith that Jesus did rise from the dead. When he sees with his own eyes, the linen cloths, he believes. And so the apostles disbelieved, but Peter went and saw for himself and marveled at what had happened. And I think this causes us to ask the question, are we astonished at the resurrection? 
Does this news amaze us like it should? And do we ponder it? Because this is the, the proper response. If we think about it, the resurrection should really shock us, right? It's a miracle that Jesus was dead for three days and then raised again, right? And walked out of a tomb. That's a miracle. Death could not hold Jesus. And it's life-changing news for us. And so I hope that we walk away from this passage marveling at the resurrection and what God has done by raising Christ from the dead. If you're a Christian, you're no longer in your sins because Christ has risen for the dead, from the dead after paying for them on the cross. So how do we, what do we take away from this passage? How do we respond to it? Well, a couple of ways. I think maybe you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian. Um, you don't believe in the resurrection. Maybe you're from another faith background and have been taught that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. Maybe you've been taught that it's a myth that Jesus rose again and that he was just a good teacher. And if that's you today, let me just implore you to believe what Luke says about the resurrection here. That Jesus really did die from the, or raised from the dead. It's not too late for you to put your faith and trust in Christ today if you're not a Christian. Just like the women did when they remembered his words and just like the apostles later did. So if you're not a Christian, what better day than today to put your faith in this message, in this God that raises Jesus from the dead? And if you are a Christian, I think we can respond to this passage in, in two ways. First, we go about announcing this news to anyone who will hear us. With the women who first announced it to the apostles, we go and proclaim it boldly, even when people don't believe us. And with the apostles who later believed, we announce this good news to anyone and everyone everywhere. So we tell people that we are sinners and that the perfect sinless Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and then rose from the dead just like he said he would. So we announce this good news to the world about the resurrection. And secondly, I think we continue to put our trust in what God promises, what Jesus promises about the future. And we look at the future with hope as Christians, because Luke presents the resurrection as a fulfillment to what Jesus had been pointing to and had been foretelling but the resurrection is not the end of the story in the Bible, right? As we look back at the resurrection, we should put our gaze forward on what Jesus has promised for the future because it really fuels our trust in Christ. So if you're a Christian and you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, he has promised to you that you will be with him in heaven. And he has promised that he will be be worshiped by people from all tribes, nations, and languages. And he has promised that he will make all things new one day and put an end to death forever. And so we can read these things in scripture with confidence, knowing that he will do what he says he's going to do. And I want to just end by reading something that Jesus has promised about the future that we can look forward to. And that because of the resurrection, 
we can bank our lives on it. So let me just read Revelation 21, 3 through 7, about what Jesus says about the future. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Verse five, and he who was seated on the throne, which is Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. So Christian, we set our eyes on Jesus and his promises. And just like the resurrection was guaranteed all along because Jesus had promised it, so this is also guaranteed. Our future hope that he will come again, that we will be with him and that he'll make all things new is guaranteed. And so let's end today by worshiping him with that in mind. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for, God, your promises, God, for your power that is displayed in the resurrection, for the hope that it gives us, God. God, thank you for giving us so many opportunities to see your miracles in the scripture, God, that they might give us hope for the future, God. God, we ask as we go out that we might marvel at the resurrection, that we might tell others about this great news that you have come and died for sinners, but you did not stay dead. You raised to life. And so Jesus, we thank you for this news and we pray for help and grace as we announce this news here in Abu Dhabi. In Jesus' name, amen.